screen behind me and on the various monitors on these pillars in front of you. So we read Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Now we go to verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. You may be seated. As the kids grew up, sometimes kids like to take their mom to McDonald's for breakfast. Then, of course, later on, they go to a nicer meal for lunch, a better restaurant, maybe. Um, I remember living here and my mom being in Alabama. There's all those long-distance phone calls. Um, there's the gifts that we get. There are flowers, maybe. And today, we want to honor you, Mom. We thank God for you. And we, because you impact our lives in such a huge way, we want to acknowledge you. We learn so much from you. One man who was sharing all the things his mom taught him went through a list of things and, and he different areas and he said mom helped him to an area of thinking ahead. If you don't pass that spelling test, you'll never get a good job. Intuition is another area. Put your sweater on. Don't you know that I know that you're cold? Intuition. To meet a challenge. What in the world were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. Or humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. The whole area of genetics. You're just like your father. Anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. Just wait. And I love this one. Justice. One day, one day you're going to have children. And I hope they turn out just like you. Then you see what it's like. Jared Chase. No. I could not forget that. 
I love you, Jared. God, he's up there. <laughs> Children, their joy. The truth is, is even though we joke about these kind of things, and so many of these, I can remember my mom saying in different ways, we learn so much. We're impacted by them in such a tremendous, tremendous way. So today, I want us to look at Proverbs 31. The passage that we're all so familiar with, that virtuous woman that we have talked about over the years. I want to look at it today in a little bit different way as we reflect on mothers as well as on the family. First, though, I want us to reflect a little bit on our culture. I think we're all so aware that Scripture, God's Word, doesn't impact our community in the way it used to. Sure, our coins still say, in God we trust. But if you look back over the last 40, 50 years, our nation doesn't really trust God by decisions that have been made. Secular thinking has impacted our, our lives in so many different ways, not beyond the whole thing of morality to education to sexuality, political beliefs, um, justice, marriage, family, and parenting. Man's philosophy has replaced Scripture as the foundation. And, and you haven't noticed today, as we think about popular culture, how it seems almost everybody, even though they're not an expert, they are experts in their own minds about so many, cult, so many things in culture. One night, I was watching a news show, and Zach and Jared happened to be in the room there and a country music star whom I didn't know who it was but they knew him and he was giving feedback a comment on world events and Zach and Jared just started laughing out loud and they said what in the world does he know about whoever it was and my response was about as much as all the other musicians and movie stars no, not much. And, and I wasn't agreeing that the country music guy should have been there on the report giving his feedback. My point is our culture is so impacted by everything except God's Word sometimes. Man's opinion has now been raised up. It's above. God's Word. It opens the door for us as we think about different things, very important things about mankind, who we are, about marriage, and what it is and what it should be as we look at same-sex marriages before us today, about what's right for home. Just Friday, I read an article about a family in Kentucky that homeschooled the children. They weren't warned. They came in and took the kids and placed them in four different homes because they didn't like the fact that they were homeschooling. You see, man's wisdom and philosophy has replaced the Word of God as that foundation in our lives. Too often, texts like Romans 12, 2, which says, don't be conformed to the world, they're just applied to, to moral issues or sexual purity, but 
we fail to see the need for this to be part of our worldview. It's important that we understand that it affects our parenting, it affects our, our everything. But the mindset today too often is that we need professional advice of the social experts. This creates a false dualism, doesn't it? That this part of our life that is sacred, so to speak, is religious. And then over here, we have the, the secular, non-Christian, and non-religious. And that supports the belief that God's Word is, is sufficient for belief. It's sufficient for your faith, but it's not sufficient for life overall. And that's a lie. And God's Word is very clear that all of life is sacred. It's important. And yet, as we look at how the culture looks at all these areas, it's more and more become, what does man think versus what God's Word says? Let's look at Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him, O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows. Who's speaking? And who's being addressed? As we look at this passage, and we all know so very well about this virtuous woman. Originally, these words were the advice of a woman to a man. Again, to make it very clear, the original audience was a man, not a woman, not a mother, not women who want to be a mother. The words of a woman speaking to her son who had a very specific job. He was king. Proverbs 31 is divided into two poems. The first, um, verses 2 through 9, looks at how to be a wise king. The last part looks at an excellent woman and wife. In the first few verses, she gives, the queen mother gives instructions uh, to her son, the king, in how to be a king. Restraint in drinking, ruling justly, protecting the poor. And then starting in verse 10, the queen begins to describe the type of wife that her son should choose. If you will, think of Queen uh, Elizabeth in England many, many years ago. And think maybe if she was trying to give advice, if she were to do this, to King Charles. The woman that King Lemuel married would be queen because he's already king. His mother had first-hand knowledge of what it's like to be a queen. She, she was queen. She describes the kind of wife that her husband should look for, one, in this case, of influence and power. The household that she runs will look more like Downton Abbey than the household that you and I might have. And the neat thing about this passage is that it doesn't, like, it, it shows us something about 
a godly woman versus telling us about a, a godly woman. It looks at the task that a godly woman carries out. We see that she's active in caring for her household. She's not passive. And even though the woman described here is royalty, the wisdom in this passage applies to each of us, to all of us. One of the great things about Proverbs is it can be applied to anyone in general sense in every situation or any circumstances. 31 verse 10 said this ideal woman is called a, a woman of excellence in the ESV. I think one calls her a noble uh, woman. I think the King James says virtuous woman. But the Old Testament story, if you remember, of, of Ruth and Naomi, the story of two widows who were about as far from a palace as you could get. They were homeless and maybe at risk of starving to death. But ultimately, Ruth was called a noble woman, a woman of excellence, because she risked everything for her mother-in-law. And her actions led to being praised in the gates of the city, just like this passage describes an excellent ideal wife. In Jewish tradition, many people see Ruth as the epitome or the example of the Proverbs 31 woman. And actually, Hebrew canon, uh, if you were to look at that, the book of Ruth follows directly after Proverbs 31. So you have here side by side two examples of excellent women, women of excellence, women who are noble in character, side by side. So we see then that one can be a queen and be a woman of excellence. One can be homeless and be a woman of excellence based on her character. God gives his description of this godly wife and mother, what she looks like. And she's described again as excellent, as noble character, as virtuous. And we see her described in different ways. We see her described as a, a businesswoman. She does uh, trading and makes money from that. She sells things, makes income. She purchases property and cultivates it, plants a vineyard. Throughout it, we see her, though, doing all these things to care for her household. Care for her household. One thing is I studied this passage, looking at different commentators, was the fact that throughout this, this passage, there are military metaphors that are used. And sometimes they're not, in our translations, they, they're not shown. But we see this word that, that, um, that is um, excellent. The Hebrew word is, is translated in different ways uh, in the Bible, and one is able five times, army 82 times, valiant 40 times, capable three times. It has strong military overtones, but it's not limited to that. In this case, as it thinks about strength, it's moral strength, and it's that domestic ability, that, that um, efficiency in doing her work as a wife and as a mom. One commentator said, it's clear that the author has a desire to communicate warrior imagery here. 
we see a woman who is engaged in the battle of life, dealing with people and winning an advantage for her family. As we look at these, this passage, I want just to, to I'm pick out five things for us as we look at this woman of excellence. Five qualities. First, she's a devoted uh, wife. She has the confidence of her husband, we'll see. She, she wants him to succeed. And because of her, his image is lifted up in the community and the gates, so to speak. Verses 10 through 12 will read, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. In this passage, we see again a, a military metaphor in verse 12 where it says, He will have no lack of gain. That phrase could be um, translated, He does not lack plunder. What is plunder? Plunder is spoils from warfare. Again, the suggestion is that this woman is a warrior in the battle of life. She's a warrior in a battle of life because life is a battle sometimes, isn't it? She fights on behalf of her family. She comes back, so to speak, with victor's spoils. Well, beyond being a devoted wife, she's a hard-working partner. She's industrious. She willingly works. She's a wise shopper. She's a planner who's able to care for her family and for all her servants that work with her. She keeps herself fit spiritually as well as physically. Verse 13, it says that she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers, it a, she considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distance. Her hands hold the spindle. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to merchants. As you heard that read, did you think of your mom? I read that and I thought about my mom. She was a mother to eight children. She was up early and leaving by 6.30. She would come home after a full day and, and cook and clean and wash clothes and back then press clothes for us until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I don't think my mom was much different from moms back then and, and, and today in the same way. Moms are always working. It's interesting though in verse 15, another word is used, comes out of the realm of hunting. I know we're city people here, but the, the, the word is pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. And where it says that she rises up while it is yet night and gives prey to her household. 
It's almost like saying the early bird gets the worm. Pray is another word suggesting that struggle in life. Struggle in life. And yet, she is at it. She's at it. She brings home the prey after hunting for it. But she's a devoted wife. She's a hard worker, partner. Third, and I love this, she ministers to the needy and to the poor. Verse 20 says that she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out to the needy. What a powerful example for a mother. What an impact it has on children to see mom caring for the poor. Powerful. Especially in the midst of all that she's doing. Fourth, she's a dependable mother. She's devoted to her family. She does all these things for her household, for her kids. She's organized. She's disciplined. She's an example. Verse 21 says that she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Strength and dignity of her clothing. And she laughs the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Again, as I hear these things, I can't help but think of my mom when it says that she opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness. The power of our words power of a mother who lovingly teaches her children, hopefully along with her husband and father and kids. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says that God's commandments are to be on our hearts. We're to impress them on our children, talk about them when we sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see, we'd always be teaching our children with kindness, teaching them God's Word. I love the fact that she says she's not afraid of snow because the kids are ready. She's not afraid of snow, but later on we see that she fears the Lord. The thing she fears most is the Lord because she's wise, which brings us to the fear of things. She is a wise woman in verse 29 and 30 full of God's wisdom says her husband praises her many and this is the husband saying many women have done excellently but you surpass them all charm is deceitful and beauty is vain I think the NIV says it's fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised Psalm 111 10 and many other passages Say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have this, this woman who's a, a devoted wife. She's a hardworking partner. She ministers to the poor. She's a dependable mom. 
this, she's a wise woman. I think we can summarize this whole passage in verse 30. I think it is a summary. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. The point here is the idealistic, the ideal characteristic in the life of a wife and mom is a fear of the Lord, which expresses itself in godliness and in wisdom. Our culture's idea of, of, uh, of women, their important attributes, will be no different than what it was back then. People then believed that beauty was the key. In our culture today, right, they often they lift up the beauty, and yet God's Word says that beauty is fleeing. It is in vain. You see, this king's mom, the queen, former queen, she wanted her son to understand that a woman's charm and her beauty may give the impression that life would be good, but it can be misleading without character. Charming beauty may offer all these false impressions of what a young man wants, but can be very deceptive. And I want to make it very clear, I'm not saying that you young men should not look for a godly young woman who is beautiful. God's Word says to, to husbands, um, you know, love your, the beauty of your wife. Um, but the point here in this proverb is that the true characteristic that leads to a happy life is godliness. Godliness. Wisdom lived out. Being a mother is a challenge in any age. I think even more so today because our culture has moved away from God's Word. The moral breakdown of the family and, and the society is difficult. It's extremely difficult for single moms. My hat's off to you who carry the load oftentimes without a father in the picture. Nothing is more important to our culture, I think, than godly parents. Their family is their foundation for society. Fathers have a major influence as being the head of the home. And I don't want to take away anything from that at all. But there's something about moms that they're the glue that hold families together. It's so very, very important. And I today want us to reflect as we apply this to our own lives how do we protect motherhood? How do we protect the family? First, some reflections for, for dad. When I think about husbands and wives and dads, my mind automatically goes to Ephesians 5 and then on to chapter 6 when it relates to, to kids. Ephesians 5 gives us a great picture of how God views a husband. The husband is not to be a dictator, but a servant-like head. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
Husbands, when we fail to love our wives, we sin against them. But more than that, we destroy that picture, that portrait, that marriage paints of our relationship with the church of Christ. And we also sin against our children because they get this, they pick up the attitude from us if we don't respect our wife. Well, husbands, we're told to love our wives in two ways. One is Christ loved the church. He sacrificed his life that we might live. We are to care for our wives. And I think too often for us, easy to think that that's just a financial thing. But it goes so far beyond that. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing them honor, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, sometimes I think we can be blind to the needs of our wives. She can change your hairstyle and we fail to say, Oh, that looks nice. Or she may buy a new dress and wanting to hear from us that it looks nice but we're so busy thinking about things that we forget to, to mention it. But we're to seek to say to them, hey, your hair looks great or you look nice in that. But beyond that, we need to be spending time talking to our wife about what's on her heart and what's on your heart. But secondly, we're to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Two questions for us men as husbands. One is, do I want my wife? Do I want for my wife what I want for myself? And secondly, do I want to avoid for my wife the unpleasant things that I want to avoid? And that way, we're loving our wives. Let's move from the fathers and the husbands on to sons and daughters. Verse 28, we read, Her husband, I'm sorry, her children rise up and bless her. Moms are often taken for granted. She slays at the stove and prepares this food, and sometimes we as picky husbands and picky children can turn our nose up and say, Ooh, I don't like that. I know none of you guys have done that. Never. Never, ever. But she works. She works hard. Sometimes we fail to, to express that appreciation for what she's done. And children, sometimes it'd be good to say, Mom, thanks, that was, that was a good meal. Or thanks for doing something for you. Or sometimes just say, Mom, I love you and I thank God for you that I'm blessed to have a mom like you. There's a command in Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue from the husband and wife passage there to, to children. It says, it's got a command with a promise. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you, that you may live long on the earth. God is serious about children obeying and honoring their parents. So serious that he gives a command with a promise. 
And this promise was given initially in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, I've seen it over and over. Particularly, I saw it in chapter 5, verse 16. But in the Old Testament context, the promise was for the nation of Israel. It was a national promise. It applied to God's blessing them and allowing them to stay in the land. As long as they were faithful to God, they remained in the land, right? But when they weren't faithful, eventually they were moved out, right? This illustrates for us that when there's a breakdown in the home, there's a breakdown in the culture as well. And for Israel, disobedience to God's word in the home eventually led to disobedience as a nation and to discipline. So we see how serious this is. And how serious is God about obedience? If you remember, as we went through 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, Saul had sinned, had been disobedient. And God compared that to, to, uh, to um, divination, demonic activity, and idolatry. The verse reads, For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. To honor our parents means respect. We value their opinions. And we listen to their instructions. I know, young guys and ladies, I know sometimes you think mom and dad are out to lunch. Right? Sometimes. Sometimes you just think we really missed the boat. But the truth is, mom and dad love you. And sure, we may, we may miss things sometimes, but... God has given wisdom to moms and dads to teach their children. It's good that we listen. God placed you in families for protection. This promise for those who obey their parents uh, to, to enjoy a prosperous and long life, that's a general thing. We know that they're godly people, um, who, who might die. But the principle is that if we are obedient, we develop lives of discipline, and there is that long life that results from that. Just looking at a young man the other day that he lived a rough, rough, hard life. And if, I think he's probably about 40. He looked like he was about 65 or 70. You see, the way we live affects our life. So the promise for those who obey then, in general sense, would be a longer life, prosperous life. Not rich in the sense of money, but rich in God's blessing. <clears throat> Finally, on Mother's Day, let's reflect about moms on Mother's Day. Moms... I've got a list of things that you do, that I, I, and, and I'm, I know I missed some of them, but here's just a few. You plan meals, you go grocery shopping, you cook the meals and prepare them, as I said, for picky kids and husbands. You go shopping for clothes for the whole family. You mend clothes. You wash clothes. You iron clothes. You do the house cleaning. You care for that broken arm and for that little runny nose on the little kid. Um, you take care of fights with the kid next door. 
as well as the fight for the young girl and her boyfriend. Then there's homework, and for some, homeschooling. Then there's mom's taxi service to football practice, baseball, basketball, dance, band. We'll go on and on, right? Mom is busy. How, Mom, how do you do all these things and remain sane? How do you do it? I still look back at my mother. And I'm in awe of my mom. And all that she did, the strength of her character to do all the things she did. I, I don't know how she did it, except for God's grace. God's grace. And I know for you, in the same way, there are many of you who are just as busy as my mom was, sacrificing, doing without, so that your son or daughter can have things. And I'm reminded of Luke 10. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, the sisters? Mary got sidetracked with was preparing the meal. Um, Martha, I'm sorry. Um, Martha got sidetracked with the meal, and Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. And after a while, as we all can be, Martha came and she was so upset and so distracted, and she came to Christ and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that Mary just sits here while I'm doing all the work? Does that sound familiar to us? Tell her, come help. Jesus replied, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. We're busy. We're all busy. It's so easy for us in the midst of life to forget that time with the Lord. We need to make it a priority in our lives to spend time with Him, to find strength. As I think of godly mothers in the midst of a hectic, hectic life, it's so important. The danger for moms and for all of us, is to become like Martha, so burdened with caring for our household, so burdened with caring for all the things that are, that are burdens upon us, that we get distracted, we get overloaded. And the result is that we become full of anxiety. We can begin to be resentful, or maybe we have some self-pity. Tension could be there. One thing for sure is we lose the joy in the midst of life. We all need that time with the Lord, all of us. And the first to say that it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle to spend time with the Lord on a regular basis. We all need it. We all need it. An important question for us all then, especially for moms, is are, are we so busy? So we don't take the time to study God's Word and pray. We so much need to do that. 
no mom or dad can be the kind of parent that we want to be without God giving us strength and grace. And no individual can be the man or woman that God wants us to be except for God's strength. We've been looking at this ideal woman, this woman of excellence, this virtuous woman, this woman of noble character, who said that she's a devoted wife, she's a hard-working partner, she ministers to the poor and to the needy, she's a dependable mom, she's a wise woman. And some of you women are saying, and she's superwoman. But she does so much. But I think sometimes it's a lot simpler than we make it out to be. The ideal woman looks like Jesus Christ. We see in her love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. She seeks justice. She loves mercy. And she walks humbly with her God. No matter the circumstances, she seeks to live according to what God's Word says. Not what our culture says, not what the media says, but what God's Word says. And this virtuous woman, this woman of excellence, she's not this uh, pastels only type of a woman. She's not necessarily just soft spoken, who doesn't have an opinion of her own. We've seen this passage over and over her strength. She's a strong woman. She's a businesswoman. She makes decisions. She takes initiative. She's a leader. Again, the summary verse for this whole passage. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Powerful, powerful passage. Proverbs 11, 22. I just love the imagery here. It says it so well. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion, in other words, who doesn't have character, is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. I know you weren't raised on a farm, and I was. We had pigs. And I can just imagine a gold ring in the nose of a pig. It says it all, doesn't it? Beauty and charm mean nothing without character. And so for us, as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers, for young people as you grow up, for those of us who are older as we live our lives, character is so important for all of us. That character, that idealistic character trait for, a, for that ideal woman, the mom, is that she loves the Lord, she lives a godly life. As we think about feminism today and how it distorts women. Um, feminism did come up with the idea that a woman has more to offer than pretty face. 
God did. Sometimes we have been, uh, haven't been listening. He's been saying it for a long time. Carolyn Justice James wrote, The greatest asset a woman brings to marriage is not her beauty, her charm, or her feminine wiles, or even her ability to bear a child. It's her theology. It's her theology. Same thing goes for us men. Men and women, as you look, as you date, you want a woman or a man who knows God's Word and who lives it. Because, as Carolyn Curtis James said, it's, it's the theology. You see, we live in this culture, we live in this world that's totally distorted what God's Word says about man, about woman, about marriage, about family. We hear it from every area. I don't care whether it's music or film, movies, TV, whatever. And if we're not careful, it seeps into our lives and begins to be a part of our thinking. So whether a woman is running a palace, as this woman was, or just trying to get her next meal for her family, she is a woman of excellence. She'll live a life in such a way that reflects Jesus Christ to those around her. We open with this passage. A wife of noble character, or a woman of excellence, who can find her? She's worth far more than jewels or rubies. And it ends in verse 31 with, Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her work appraise her in gates. Moms, we honor you today. You deserve our praise at home and publicly here. We thank God for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven,